Well, we're in the middle of a, a series entitled Unlikely People, and uh, I, I be one of those people, all right? I'm an unlikely people, and I, I know that you are as well. We're looking at in this series really the lives of ordinary people in the Bible that God used in extraordinary ways. Our pastor, our senior pastor, Pastor Rick, over the last few weeks has has helped us to look at the lives of Samson and Noah and Jonah and gleam from them valuable lessons that challenge us, that challenge us to move from really the ordinary to the extraordinary, to a, a, a life that is used of God, to a life that God blesses, a life that makes a difference. And today we're going to take a brief uh, glimpse at the life of David, as you've already been told. David was the greatest king in the history of the nation of Israel. And I say a a brief glimpse because more than any other uh, person in the Scripture, other than the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, David's life is laid out throughout the Bible. And of all the men and women in the Bible, no, no life is on display more than the life of David. His life was a a pendulum that swung back and forth between the, the thrill of victory and the, the agony of defeat. And so his life really represents what's true in our lives as well because so often we can know the thrill of victory. And yet we also, we know well the, the agony of, of defeat. And yet David through all of what was true in his life, was called a man after God's own heart. And I believe that God longs that that would be true in my life and in your life as well. That through the the ecstasy and the agony, we would be men and women who would be after God's own heart. So I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we'll be looking at certain passages. It'll be in your notes page and also up on the screen. But we want to look at perhaps the most familiar story in, in all of the Bible. It's a story of, of David and, and Goliath. And for those who have even never been in church, they, they pretty much know the story of, of David and, and Goliath. And I, I really have this little sling here. It, it, it's not, I'm sure, what, what David used. And it's really not much of an illustration for me this morning other than if I see you nodding. (laughs) All right? So I'm just warning you right now, right up front. Okay? Well, this story of David and Goliath is a story of moving from a place of fear and, and failure to a place of faith and freedom. It is a real story about a real person. And it is a story that God wants to be, to be real in each of our lives as well. It is a story of, of moving from the ordinary to the extraordinary through learning to face your fears. It is a story that gives us some tremendous insights, insights into how we can experience freedom Freedom from the unhealthy fears that can dominate and control our lives. And I I know that's true of your life this morning. And I know that because I I know it's it's true of my life. And so the first insight that uh, I want us to see this morning is simply this. We must face our fears. If we're going to experience freedom from our fears, then we must face them. You must face your fears. Listen as I read. Look along. 1 Samuel 17, verses 1 through 4, and then 11 and 24 as well. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle, and the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, A Philistine champion from Gath came out from the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. 
when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. As we uh, begin, we find the army of, of Israel camped on one hillside and, and the forces of the, the Philistines on another hillside with, with a valley in between. They were ready for war. The battle lines had been established. And, and in warfare, warfare is, is usually all about territory, regaining territory, acquiring territory. It's true in physical warfare. It's true in spiritual warfare in our hearts as well. There's a battle that goes on in, in the souls of men in each of our lives, a battle for the territory of our hearts, whether our hearts will be filled with fear or whether they will be occupied by faith. And so that's kind of the, the picture that we see here with these two encampments. And the Philistine forces occupying one hill were led by their champion, Goliath. Again, he stood over nine feet tall. He wore a suit of armor weighing 125 pounds, and he carried a spear with an iron tip that weighed probably about 15 pounds. He was an intimidating figure, to say the least, who struck fear and terror in the hearts of the entire, entire Israelite army. For 40 days, Goliath stood and he challenged Israel twice a day to send a man who would, would come down and fight him. In the morning and in the night, come down and fight me. And the army of the loser would become the subject of the victor. But for 40 days, day and night, whenever the Israelites saw him, they all ran in great fear. No one was willing to face him. You know, there's a popular recent slogan that's out that says, no fear. Well, I might suggest to us this morning that the Bible teaches us something otherwise. The reality is fear is, is true in each and every one of our lives. The word fear appears over 500 times in, in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Afraid hundreds of times in the Bible throughout the scriptures. Do not be afraid, fear not is repeated over 100 times in the scripture. It is the first emotion that's found in the Bible. Genesis 3.10 tells us that after Adam sinned and, and encountered God, Adam said this, I was afraid because I, I, was, I was naked, and so I hid. I hid. And fear always hides. It always runs. It always seeks to, to cover up. It's true for Adam. It's true for us. Fear was, was embedded into the hearts of all mankind when Adam and Eve believed Satan's lie and disobeyed God. And as a result, fear is a part of our spiritual DNA, whether we like it or not. It manifests itself in our lives at times in the form of phobias, panic attacks, worry, anxiety, depression, and a host of other uninvited guests. We wrestle with the fear of dying, of failure, of what others think, of the unknown, the future, of rejection, of abandonment, of embarrassment, and and hundreds more. Fear can immobilize and paralyze you spiritually and, and emotionally and even physically. It robs you of God's peace, of God's joy, of his love, of God's power. And it can cause you to lose heart and to simply give up. 
And it keeps you. It keeps you from becoming the person that God longs for you to be. I'm, uh, I consider myself an expert in the area of fear. Just have to confess that to you this morning. I remember uh, dreams uh, that I had when I was young, and I don't remember most dreams, but I remember these dreams, and I think I remember them because it explains the power, the grip that fear can have on our lives. And, and one of the dreams, both of them took place in a in a bedroom. One was in my early bedroom in our home in Roseville where I was with my brother and I saw a man in the closet, trench coat, gray cap on. And so I, I uh, quickly left my brother by himself and out the door I went, ran to my parents' room. My dad checked the house, nobody there. But there was no way, absolutely no way I was going back in that bedroom that night. So I can't remember which one. One of my Parents slept in my bed, and I slept with the other parent in their bed. I remember that very vividly. I remember another time, very similar in my dream. I was in my great aunt's house, and her house was in Afton. It was an old farmhouse with a porch that wrapped around it and, and actually had the water pump outside and basement where she kept her, her veg, vegetables from her garden and and in my dream, I was in, in one of her bedrooms, and again, there was somebody in there. And I remember trying to call out for help in my dream. And it went a lot like this, and I'm a little fearful to show you, but it was kind of like this. Yeah, I was afraid of that. <laughs> the power of fear, even in our dreams. I, in uh, 1981, I graduated from, from seminary, and, and uh, we moved to Dallas, Texas, where I, I was an associate pastor on staff in a church there. And... Uh, I had built in our garage a, a little room, a study for me. And every morning I, early I, I met there, practice which I still do today. And I would lay on the ground and I would pray. And yet over a period of time I realized I keep praying, Lord, about one thing. And what I was praying about, I would say, God, please forgive me. And it was something that had taken place back in seminary, which I believe at this time was probably close to a year to two years after I had probably graduated. And I had confessed it this way. But I knew that I needed to do something else. I needed to confess it, not just this way. I needed to confess it this way. For weeks and perhaps even months, I was afraid to do that because I was fearful that I would, I would perhaps they would take my diploma back, Master of Divinity. Can you imagine that? I've never made divinity before in my life. So... Don't really like it either. And as a young pastor, I thought, you know, I, I, I could lose my job. And that gripped my heart. And yet there came the day where, where I made the phone call to the president of the seminary that I graduated from, and I shared with him what the issue was. And he said he would get back to me. And, uh, and he did. And he said, Rick, on that second phone conversation, he said, Rick, you're forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you. Be free. Be free. And you see, if, if we're unwilling to face our fears, we can never be free. And so the first insight is we're not to run from our fears. We're not to hide but if we're going to experience freedom from our fears, we must be willing, you must be willing to face them. A second insight from our text this morning is this. You must accept who you are. You must accept who you are. Listen as I read verses 12 through 15. Again, 1 Samuel 17. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. 
Saul being the king of Israel at the time. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. David was the youngest of eight sons. He was a, a simple shepherd with the responsibility of tending his father's sheep in the, in the lonely, barren, often treacherous Judean wilderness. He knew his place. He knew his position in life and in his family. And it was often a place of, of one who is forgotten, one who is overlooked, one who is lonely, and even one who is despised. But it was from that place, that place of wilderness preparation, that God was, was calling David and preparing him to become the greatest king in the history of Israel. Never despise your upbringing. Never despise your family background, your culture, your race. Never despise where you may even find yourself right now. It is all a part of God's preparation in your life and in my life, his plan for us, if we will trust him, if we will believe in him. And God has a plan for you. God had a plan for David, and God has a plan for each life. This idea of accepting who we are is brought out even further, I believe, in verses 38 and 39. Listen as we read there. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And look what David says to Saul. I cannot go in, in these because I'm not used to them. And so he took them off. When I was six years old, I uh, took swimming lessons in the Roseville pool here in uh, Roseville up near Sacramento. And six, seven years of age, something like that. And uh, on the, the, the final day of, of the lessons, we had to swim across the, the deep end of the pool to get our polywog badge. <laughs> and I knew I was in trouble. I was, I think, the first or very close to the first one in line. And so I, I walked up and I sat down on the edge of the pool with my, my feet uh, just in the water there on that deep end. And, and I waited and I waited. And so eventually they had people that were behind me go. And every one of them went while I continued to sit there. Finally, I, I pushed off. And I remember just seeing bubbles. And then I remember seeing a hand grab me. And I've thought oftentimes that that's kind of the way it is in my life so often. I can be in that place where I'm sinking. It's just bubbles. Praise the Lord, there's the hand of the lifeguard that grabs me. But why was I so afraid? Been in these lessons for about a couple weeks, but here's why I was so afraid. Because I knew I had faked it. I was able to hold on to the side of the pool and practice kicking my legs, those kind of things. And then I was able to, to swim, but I always swam in the shallow part of the pool. And it was so shallow that I could touch the bottom. And that's what I did. I had never done it without not touching the bottom. And I knew I was in trouble. When you fake it, you have a reason to be scared. So don't try to be somebody that you're not. Don't fake it. God made you to be you. He made you with your gifts, with your abilities, with your personality, with your background, with your color of hair, 
with everything that you are, he made you. And he made you to do what nobody else can do in your place. And he does have a plan for you and a purpose for your life. Ephesians 2.10, Paul writes these words, For we are God's workmanship. And that word workmanship is also the word poem. So we are God's poem. Have you ever thought of yourself as being God's poem? God loves poetry. And every person in here is, is God's poem. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He is the one who created you. He is the one who made you. And he made you exactly the way he wanted you to be. And why did he do that? Which God prepared. He made you and created you to do good works. And those good works that God created you for that nobody else can do, he prepared in advance for you to do well in advance for you to do. A third insight I want us to see is this. You must reject the voices of fear. You must reject the voices of fear. Listen to some of the voices that David heard. In verses 8 and 9, we read these words, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites, why are you all coming out to fight? Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. And again, the battle of, of, of fear in our lives is a battle of fear and faith. It's a battle for territory. And, and when we give in to the fears of life, they enslave us. We're enslaved by them. We're captured by them. Goliath went on later in verses 43 through 44, and he said to David, Am I a dog that you come, come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. It would make you want to gulp hard. We hear another voice in verse 28. But when David's oldest, oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just, you just want to see the battle. Then he hears another voice in verse 33. Saul, again the king, replied, You are not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he has been fighting a fighting man from his youth. Have you heard voices like these? They are the voices of fear. And they are voices that come from all around us. They can come from the opposition, from the enemy without and within. They can come from a member of your family. They can come from somebody in authority over your life. They are voices that shout, question, challenge, threaten, intimidate, curse, demand, and accuse. They are voices that question and challenge your actions, your motives, your abilities, and your character. They are voices that tell you that you are not good enough that you are not smart enough, that you are too young or, or too old, that you are not worthy, that you are a failure and that you will never amount to anything, that no one could ever really love you, that God certainly could never forgive you, that no one really wants to listen, and who really cares, and that it is, it's just, 
hopeless. It's hopeless. And you might as well just give up. Because trying is only going to make you really just look like a fool. Have you heard these voices? Me too. They're voices of fear, and they come from without and from within, and, and they never stop coming. I'll turn 60 this week. I would have wished that at 60 I wouldn't have to battle the fears of my life that I can still battle. But you know what? It's not the case. I still battle them. They keep coming. They are ultimately the voice of the one who Jesus called the father of all lies and the one of whom Jesus said who came to steal, kill, and destroy. They are the voice of the enemy. They are the voices of fear. And you need to be sure that you distinguish them from the voice of God. There's a big difference between them. You know, one of the greatest fears in my life is uh, what I'm doing right now. It really is. When I was a, a child, I, uh, I attended speech therapy classes during the, the summer to, to, to learn how to uh, speak, to say my R's. And unfortunately, my first name begins with an R. And the most difficult name, word, that just about I had uh, trouble enunciating, pronouncing, was my own name. And even to this day, when I am in a large group and everyone's kind of going around and sharing their names and I'm waiting for it to get to my turn, I got to tell you that it's still there. Those feelings are still there. And I wrestle with that. In high school... I ended up in a speech class. I don't remember how I got there. I'm sure I've locked it from my memory. <laughs> and we were to give a speech. It was to be a demonstrative speech. And our classroom was actually a science laboratory, and it had sinks. And I had become a scuba diver, so I had to give this speech. And so I brought my, my mask and my snorkel. I filled up one of the sinks with water. And I think it was about a two-minute speech or three minutes. I don't really remember now. But, but uh, what I did was I stuck my head in the water in the sink. I stayed down there for two to three minutes as long as I could. <laughs> when I decided it was probably time the speech would be over, I got up and took off my mask and snorkel, and I sat back down. <laughs> that was my speech. I'm sure my grade reflected it. <laughs> First time I, I stood behind a pulpit, I'm very thankful that it wasn't, it was wider than this and it wasn't glass. And I was uh, asked to pray. And so I stood at that pulpit and I held on and I immediately asked everyone to bow their heads and I began to pray. And then all of a sudden, I said, amen, and I bounced off the platform. <laughs> How I'm doing what I do today, I'll never know. Why God called me, I'll never know. God has a sense of humor. If he called me to be a monk, I would be happy, just alone by myself somewhere. You know, there's a verse in my life that has been a part of my life through the years it's one that before I came up here this morning, both hours, I said, it's one over the last week as I've prepared, God through the Holy Spirit has used that verse in my life dozens, literally dozens and dozens of times. And over the years in my life since I've placed this verse in my heart, literally thousands and thousands of times, it's Isaiah 41.10. And it says this, fear not, for I am with you. 
Be not dismayed, for I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with, with my victorious right hand. That one verse, literally, uh, God has used to be that lifeguard to pull me out of those bubbles thousands and thousands of times. I want you to say it with me right now. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. A fourth insight, if we're to gain freedom from fear, is this. You must remember God's faithfulness. Listen to verses 36 and 37. David is speaking after hearing the voice of Saul the king. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. When David was, was tempted to fear, he remembered God's faithfulness. He remembered how the Lord had delivered him in the past, and so he had great confidence and faith to believe that God could deliver him in the present. When you focus on the giants in your life, your, your heart will be filled with fear. But when you focus on, on God and his faithfulness in your life, your heart will be filled with faith. David believed that no matter how big the giant was, God was bigger. And no matter how great the giant in your life, the fear in your life, God is greater. I ask you, if, if you would, please, to close your eyes for just a moment or two. And I want you uh, to picture, if you can, the answer to this question. Chad asked it earlier, but let me ask again. What is a giant or what is a fear you're facing in your life right now? Can you picture that? Maybe you couldn't earlier, but maybe you can now. What is a giant or a fear that you're facing right now? And then, now, what I want you to do is I want you to remember a time in your life, a time in your life when God delivered you, when he delivered you from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. Can you remember? And as you remember, give God thanks. Give him thanks that as he delivered you before, so he, he will deliver you now because he is faithful. You know, you can look back up here. There's a great passage in the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is a funeral dirge. And Jeremiah the prophet, he's called the weeping prophet. And throughout that book, he's weeping over the, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And yet in the middle of that book, he writes these words. He writes, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And in the midst of his tears, in the midst of his sorrows, he remembers that God is faithful. I want you to stand to your feet with me for a moment if, if you're able to. And I'm a little fearful of maybe doing this, but the other crowds have really done well, so I'm trusting that you will as well because my voice is not the best. But if you know this, I want you to sing it with me. It goes like this. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy Oh, you sound good. Let's do it one more time. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Never. Absolutely never. They are new every morning, even this morning. New every morning, every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. He is faithful. Great is thy faithful. He is faithful to you, and he can never not be faithful. You may be seated. When you are tempted to fear, remember God's faithfulness. A fifth insight, you must believe God is with you. You must believe God is with you. Verses 45 through 47, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This day the Lord will hand you over to me that the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel for the battle, the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you, give all of you into our hands. When the entire Israelite army ran from Goliath, David ran to him. He was not afraid. Doesn't mean David wasn't afraid in life. Again, we're looking at one glimpse. (laughs) But he was not afraid because he believed the Lord was with him. And that the Lord would fight for him. When you truly believe, truly believe that the Lord is by your side and that he is on your side, all your fears have to run. It's not you running. It's your fears that have to run. Listen to what Deuteronomy 31 verse 8 says. The Lord himself goes before you. And he will be with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. So do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. He's with you. He's with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Psalm 23, which Chad read earlier, even though David, David, David writes, even though I, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. God is good. God is love. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Victorious Christian living is a faith that believes. And it believes that no matter the battle, that God is with you. And because he is with you, you cannot lose. You cannot lose. That is the faith. That is the faith that brings freedom from fear. A sixth insight is this. 
you must fight with, with spiritual weapons. Verse 40 says this, then he, that is David, took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from a stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Verse 50, so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and he killed him. You must fight with spiritual weapons. David slew Goliath not by trusting the weapons of military might, but by trusting the weapons of a simple shepherd, a sling and five smooth stones. And you and I need to understand that the spiritual giants of our lives can only be toppled by, by spiritual weapons. And those are what we're to fight with. We're to be armed not with the weapons of this world, but with the weapons of, of God's word. And there's power here. There is victory here. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On contrary, they have divine power. Divine power to demolish strongholds. Strongholds of the enemy. Strongholds of fear. So David put five smooth stones in his shepherd's bag. And what I'd like to do is give you five smooth stones that I've put in my spiritual bag that have been with me through the years and that when I've needed them, I've been able to take them out and place them where they needed to be placed and experience some freedom I could never have experienced otherwise. You might want to write these down. A couple of them I've given to you already. Three of them are not in your notes at all, but the first stone, again, is Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you, Rick. Be not dismayed, Rick, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand again thousands thousands of times that's a stone I've pulled out and then Lamentations 3 the steadfast love we sang it of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is thy faithfulness let me give you three other stones that God might have you put in your bag. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a stone that's in my son's bag. Again, we have three children, and probably when our son was, he's our youngest, was six, seven, eight. He's 26 now. That was a stone that he put in his bag. It's a stone that he still carries. He couldn't sleep at night. He was afraid. He was afraid to go to sleep. And he was afraid to go to sleep because he was fearful that mom and dad were going to die. And so, James 4, 7 became a verse that we worked on, that we memorized together. And he would tell you today that it's a stone in his bag, probably his number one stone. It says, first of all, submit yourselves to God. That's the first thing you got to do. Secondly, resist the devil. That's the second thing, but don't try and do that until you've done the first. And when you've done the first and you do the second, 
he has to flee. The fears have to, have to go. Another stone in, in my spiritual bag is, is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be fearful about anything, but in everything, rather, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your, let your request be made known to God. And here's the result. And the peace of God, not the anxiety, not the fear, but the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 1981 was a big year. Again, that was the year I graduated and the year we moved and those kind of things. But it was also the year we had our first child. Our first child was a month old when we knew she wasn't doing well and we took her to the hospital, doctor's hospital, smaller hospital back then than it is today. And uh, we didn't realize how bad she was doing. We were young parents, first child. And so I was checking her in, and they said, no, you're not going to be able to check her in. They had sent for a team to come from UCSF by ambulance, a physician and two nurses. She was on the verge of cardiac arrest. They would not metaflight her. We were told that she would probably not make it and perhaps not be at UCSF, arrive there alive. My wife and I followed in the car, and... Uh, <laughs> We were crying. But I pulled stone out of the bag. And we launched it. And we began to sing. And we began to give God thanks that he had given us our daughter for a month. And somehow, some way. God did something in my heart, and, and literally this is how it felt, that God took my, my lips, which are very dry right now, but he took them and he wrapped them around the back of my head and he tied them in a bow. And the peace of God that, that overwhelmed me in such a way I had never experienced before and never since, though I've ex certainly experienced the peace of God. It's a great stone to have in your bag. And finally, uh, another great one for me, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Do you know that this morning, believer? Do you, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit he dwells in you. He lives in you. The Holy Spirit, the counselor who wants to fill your heart with his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness with all those things that are his to give. A final, a final uh, insight, and I don't take it from our text. I take it from Psalm 12, 112 where David wrote these words, praise the Lord. Blessed is a man or blessed is a woman who fears the Lord. And this final insight is simply this, you must fear God above all else. You must fear God above all else. Blessed is a man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. And in the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. David was called a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he was a man whose heart feared God above all else. He was blessed. He was victorious because he trusted in the Lord and he delighted in the word of God, in God's word. And his heart was steadfast and secure because, because the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord dispels all your, feel, all your fears and it defeats all your foes. It will dispel your fears. It will defeat your foes. Fear him. 
fear him above all else. God used an ordinary person like David in an extraordinary way because he chose to fear God above all else. And God will use you and God will use me when we choose to fear God above all else. Would you bow your heads with me? Our Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that it is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, that it is the sword of the Spirit, that it is able to divide the deep things of our lives, that it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for equipping us to be the people of God that you've called us to be. We thank you, Lord. I pray for each one here this morning that you would help them, that you would help me, you would help us to fear you, Lord, first and above all else, to know and believe that you are with us, to know and, and believe, Lord, that you long that we would face our fears so that we might find victory over the, th the thing that can so often con control and enslave us. Lord, bless each one here. Thank you that you are a God who is faithful. And Lord, as you have defeated the enemy in our lives in the past, so you will both today and in our futures. And for that, Lord, we give you our praise and declare that you are the Lord God Almighty, the one that we choose to fear above all else. Bless us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Listen, on your way out, be sure and uh, go by the backpack table and pick up one of those cards. And if you're interested, buy those tickets for the Restoration Conference. Lord bless you.